What you choose to do or not to do in the first 60 days of your child's life will decide whether your role as a dad gets easier or harder as they grow up. So just what do the first 60 days mean for you as a dad? Find out in just a moment. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is early brain development specialist and neuronurturing connector and founder of Brain Insights, Deborah McNellis. She's also a recognized international keynote speaker, trainer, author, and created the term neuro-nurturing. Deborah, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Oh my gosh, thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. I'm so thrilled that you're doing this work and sharing this information. Deborah, I'm going to start off with an uncomfortable question. There aren't nearly as many fathers in your audience's as there are women or moms. What is so important about the first 60 days for dads and why should they be paying attention right now? You're right. That that is very true. Uh, There are not as many fathers or men in my audiences, um, which is sad. Um, So your question is an important one because it, the first 60 days are important, and it's important for not only the moms and the women, it is essential for the dads to have this understanding as well. So, so you ask about what's so important about the first 60 days? Well, <laughs> I don't know if a half hour is long enough to go into all of this, but <laughs> let's do what we can to, to share that. So the thing is... Uh, what we are biologically des- designed for connection. And so it's connection with, you know, a baby needs to, requires to have that connection. They're a, a you know, this immature, <laughs> immature um, being that is dependent on someone caring for them. So, uh, you know, it's all dependent on their survival to have someone care for them. So they need at least one primary caregiver. Now, that primary caregiver often is the mother, right? So a lot of emphasis does get placed on the mother or the woman caregiver. But that doesn't take away from the importance of, of the father in, in that role. It might be the father might be the primary caregiver. Um, that might be a, a stay-at-home dad. It might be a, a two-dad family. And even if it is the mother that is the primary caregiver, that doesn't diminish the role of the father. The mom, I talk a lot about in the first 60 days booklet I've created, how how important it is that we in any way uh support support that primary caregiver. So if that if that's the role of the father to support the mother, that's an incredibly important role as well. So there's a lot to it and um, and I can get into why why specifically the first 60 days and that is that in 2018, 
Dr. Bruce Perry, who is who I initially learned a lot of the brain development information that I that I gained, um, who is fabulous, and maybe you've read his book, uh, What Happened to You, that he wrote with Oprah. So he and Oprah wrote this book um, about what happened to you, rather than with the point of instead of asking what's wrong with you, let's look at it. Well, what happened to you? And in that book, he revealed this research that I mentioned was was done in 2018 to reveal that what they found is that if a baby has nurturing responsiveness to their express needs in the first 60 days, and that's consistently happening for that baby, if that happens in those first two months, and then maybe a lot of adversity happens in that child's life after those first two months, that baby does better than a baby that had adversity only for the first two months, and then everything improved afterwards. That's powerful. Yeah. And does this does it have anything to do with the connection that is happening in that first nurturing period when that baby is is nurtured from the very beginning? Is it specifically the connection that's yeah. really making that that transition easier? Yeah, exactly. So so it's the it a baby as I was saying, it for survival purposes, they depend on someone responding to the needs that they have. And if that's happening consistently and especially in a nurturing way, the 86 billion brain cells that a baby is born with are going to begin making connections based on those experiences. The a brain is experience dependent, meaning that it is dependent on experiences to make connections between those 86 billion brain cells. And that's how the brain actually physically grows because those connections are made based on whatever type of experiences a child is having. So a brain, it's so interesting to think about it in this way, that that the brain is only, is, is very, very immature at birth, that not many of those connections are made prenatally. So when we think about that the majority of those connections that are going to create the pathways that create the foundation for life are created after birth. That provides us with this opportunity to provide what science shows us is most optimal for that healthy development, for physical and mental health development. So it's, it's an incredible opportunity. But where I was going with that is that the brain will then and it, it's cool to think about that, that the brain will adapt to whatever experiences are happening most frequently and most repeatedly in that child's life. So the brain will adapt to either positive experiences or it will adapt to negative experiences. If, mm. if these adverse experiences are happening repeatedly and over and over again, what happens is the brain is going to start um, developing pathways for well how do i how do i handle this how do i how do i have the skills for this how do i deal with this that's what the brain is going to adapt to 
So a baby that is is experiencing those adverse experiences in those first two months is going to be wiring that the brain in that way in in uh, especially in the um, stress response system of the of the brain. So that brain is going to be overly sensitized to stress responses and and threats and um, that's a child that you're going to see, uh, you know, that you go, well, why did they fly off the handle so easily? That, that wasn't such a big deal. Well, their, their stress response system is overactivated because of the wiring that took place early in their life. If we take the time and connect with our babies early, early, early on, it makes the parenting so much easier. So in other words, it's much easier to parent a connected baby and a connected child. And the earlier that connection process begins, the easier it is to maintain that connection from that point on. So it comes back to really what we said earlier, which is we can do the hard work early, which really doesn't have to be that hard. We're learning. Um, Or we for sure end up doing the hard work later. So there's a choice to be made. We have the opportunity to provide what they need right from the beginning. And and you're right, it does make it easier. If that baby has had that consistent responsiveness, they cry and express express a need and their that need is responded to, and that happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again, that baby is learning that, oh, this world is a safe place, I'm worthwhile, um, I'm cared about, I'm feeling secure, that baby ends up crying less and becomes more of a calm baby than and and calmer child as a result because they know that they're going to that their needs are going to be met a child that it's it's inconsistent that those needs are met sometimes i my my cries are responded to sometimes they're not sometimes i'm treated harshly that baby's going to cry a lot because they don't know. Am I going to get my needs met this time or not? Let's change gears a little bit. What is your personal story and journey into how you got interested and so involved in the neuro nurturing field? It started way before uh, the technology was advanced enough to know all that we know now about brains. So I started with a bachelor's degree in early childhood education and started by teaching kindergarten. Um, and so it was at that time, it was all based on theory and behavioral studies and that kind of thing. So um, I left teaching after about 10 years and uh, started a community based organization in the community that I lived in called Family Network, where it was pulling together the community in support of children and families and educators. And um, From there, then, I coordinated a family literacy program for about 12 years at a technical college, and and I taught in the early childhood associate degree program there, too, and got a master's degree uh, during that time. But it was about that time that the the technology was becoming more advanced, and we were able to begin seeing, not we, but (laughs) scientists were able to see what was going on in the brains of developing children. So I started reading and learning everything I could and got so excited that now we have this evidence to demonstrate and prove to us what 
children actually need. So I, I, as I said, was very excited about this information, but realized that even though it was becoming available, this was referred to as the decade of the 90s. Maybe you've heard that expression. When or, mm-hmm. I mean, the decade of the brain was in the 90s. I was enthused that this was available, but started realizing, well, even though it was available, still most people didn't know it. So I then had the opportunity to work for an advocacy agency. And there was another woman and I that uh, we, it was called the Brain Project. And we went throughout the state. Um, it was a statewide organization. We went throughout the state doing presentations on early brain development. And I mentioned Dr. Bruce Perry. He worked with this organization to develop this, this training that we were providing. Um, and he has, it was based on what is called the neurosequential model that he developed. So I did that for about four years, and uh, it was a nonprofit organization, and the funding ran out for the project. And so what I tell everyone is the funding ran out, but my passion to get the information out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I guess I'm doing this on my own. So I, that's when I started Brain Insights. And that was in 2008. And my niche is to share that understanding. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm an educator. So I share it in understandable and practical ways. So in addition to doing presentations, that were, and no longer just within the state, I was you know, branching out throughout the country and, and then now internationally as well. And, um, and then I wanted to, in addition to doing presentations, I wanted to make it practical and applicable into everyday life. So then I decided to um, develop materials that made it very, very easy for, for parents and educators to not only understand this, but to have the ideas of how to use this in in their everyday life. I want to focus a little bit on the nurturing component. What is the difference between nurturing and spoiling? I know a lot of dads will have this question. (laughs) It's such an important question. I love that you're asking that. Um, actually, I, I briefly mentioned that I have, but I created a something called the First 60 Days Booklet, and it's a very simple booklet that dispels 22 common myths and misconceptions that are often shared about babies or, or new parents. So the first myth that is addressed in that booklet is about spoiling, and so the way that the booklet is set up is it states the myth at the top of the, of the top of the page, and then it shares what I call neuro-nurturing knowledge. Neuro-nurturing is a term that I created um, that I can explain further later if, we'd like, if you'd like. But the myth is repeatedly responding to and picking up a crying baby will spoil them, right? That's common that people hear that. And what the thinking is, is that if I consistently meet that baby's needs, they're going to get dependent on me. That's going to spoil them. They're going to expect this all the time. Well, the guess funny what? thing is I've heard that before too. <laughs> yeah. 
And so guess what? That's, that's what they do need. And <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> that's the whole point. Exactly. So the, it, by nurturing that baby, responding to their needs, they are, as I explained earlier, they're developing this expectation that their needs are going to be met. They're en- going to end up being calmer. It's what is required of, of or what a baby requires to have those needs met. What ends up happening is that contributes to the highest functioning area of the brain that ultimately, <laughs> later down the road, but it, this is contributing to it right from birth for the baby to ultimate or the child to ultimately begin developing self-regulation. So by regulating, you're, you're responding to that baby, that's regulating their brain. It's training their brain that meeting those needs is going to help regulate rather than overstimulating that stress response system. That kind of reminds me of something I heard. There was an experiment done where several babies were supposedly never picked up, never held. Right. And, uh, and then there's the ones that were, and the ones that were not held, that were not picked up, that were not, um, their emotional needs were not cared for, yeah. uh, did not come out very, very well. So exactly. if I remember correctly, what that suggested is that that emotional, that nurturing need that being picked up, being held, all of those things are on the level of vital. They are vital. They are, they are a physical requirement for life at that early stage. Um, it is, it is not an optional thing is what that suggested. Did I read that correctly? You did. Although it wasn't an experiment, what it was, was babies that were left in an orphanage that had, you know, minimal, uh, amount of, of care. Yes, that one. So you nailed it. That's right. What is the connection between dads playing with their kids and their physical or mental health, especially in those first 60 days? Play, first of all, you mentioned play. Play is really, really, really <laughs> important. It's how the brain develops. So it's what, what, what do kids naturally want to do? Play. Yeah. They're doing exactly what their brain needs. And what do dads love to do with their kids? Play. Right. It's natural. It's the design of, of, of development. So um, now when we talk about the first 60 days, um, you know, there's not a lot of, we, we don't think of it typically as, you know, I'm going to go play with my baby and roll around on the floor and, you know, go play ball and, you know, that kind of play. But there is a lot that can be done, a lot of interaction that can be done. The babies need that interaction. They need that closeness. So a, a point in that you're bringing up about pl- the dads playing with the baby is don't leave them sw- swinging in a mechanical swing. Don't, don't just carry them around in a, in a car seat carrier thing by the handle. Babies need that. First of all, they need touch. They need a lot of touch. Um, we're carry mammals. We're we're designed to be carried like uh, um, you know like a kangaroo in the in the pouch or 
uh, koala, you know, they're, we're, we're designed like those mammals, that we are designed to be carried and held and touched. Carry your baby around, hold, hold your baby. It gives, it provides a lot, first of all, and skin to skin, that's another thing. So, and dads have an have a, um, advantage over moms for this skin to skin. It's, there's a lot more situations that a dad can have their shirt off with their baby on their, on their chest um, <laughs> in, in more situations than a mom is able to do that. So, and you know what I've seen, I'm seeing more and more photos of dads at the birth, picking up the newborn for the first time with their shirt off and pulling the baby to their chest. The awareness is increasing. Yay. So yes, um, that skin to skin is really, really, really important. So if a dad were to lay on the floor with their shirt off and put their baby on, on their chest, that provides that baby tummy time. So it's a skin to skin and it's a, a physical development time and it's a connection time. So th- that baby's learning to strengthen their shoulders and their neck muscles and all of those good things while you're, you're having that, that connection. So that's all very positive. Um, another way to do it is put the baby on the floor on their stomach and you lay on your stomach facing the baby and the baby lifts up their head to look at you and you have this eye contact. That is, there's, there's an emotional connection. There's also at that, in these early, um, these early weeks, visual vision is developing and becoming organized in the brain. Serve and return is babies have to have a lot of, hear a lot of language um, to develop the, to develop the ability to have their own language. So they don't, the brain doesn't develop language if if a child isn't hearing language. So, you know how I was saying it's experience dependent, it has to hear those words to be able to do it. So talking to a baby is not silly. Dads need to talk to talk to the baby also. And serve and return is where you talk to the baby and, and you know, have you heard that, you know, naturally a lot of times people will um, use more of a slower and high pitch when they talk to a baby. Oh, you're so cute. Like that. That's called parent ease. And if a, if a, if a dad is talking to a baby that way, that baby is really going to tune in because they're going to see your expressions and the way your mouth moves. And, um, they, they take all of that in as well as listening to the, the sounds. So, you say something to the baby, the baby is going to either just, you know, stare at you and look at your expressions and take all that in, as I just described, or as they get a little bit older, they're going to wiggle their arms or and their legs in response to what you, you know, to you talking to them. They love you talking to them. Um, or they might smile and give you, you know, a facial expression. And then you take a turn back and you say, yes, you are so cute. And, and then pause and give their, them a chance to re, uh, respond again. And that's called serve and return. They're learning about how conversation works. So there's all kinds of play activities like that. And, and you know, we're talking about the first 60 days. As babies get older, the type of play that dads do with babies is a little bit 
more rough and tumble typically. And the babies need that, Boy, uh, especially boys, but girls do just as much. And um, that is contributing also to the highest functioning area of the brain. So lots and lots and lots of, of ways to play. Even with a newborn sticking out your tongue and watching the baby try to imitate you. It's great fun. They're, they're already trying to imitate you right from day one. We are all about stories on the Fatherhood Challenge. Please share some stories of families that you've helped. One story that's very fun to tell is several years ago, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, a fatherhood uh, support group. And it happened to be um, low socioeconomic um, black parent fathers. And I came away so enthused and my heart was filled um, afterwards that I actually wrote a blog post about it because they, the questions they asked and the interest they had and passion to be the kind of parent that they wanted to be and absorb all this information was just so heartwarming. I, I, I can't express to you enough about how I, how I came away from that. So um, that was one that was, that really stands out to me. How can dads learn more about how to help their babies through the first 60 days and get involved with brain insights? I mentioned that booklet that it's a wonderful way for an, an easy way for dads to become aware of what their baby actually does need to overcome these myths. You know, there's so many things that are shared on the, on the internet that are conflicting. Yes. Do this and don't do that. And, and it's not, they're not all based on science. So it gets confusing. So this booklet dispels myths and it's very easy. As I said, I share every, all the understanding in very simple, understandable ways um, so there's that. And then I also have what I call neural nurturing interaction packets and dads and, well, you know, moms love them too, but I've been told how many, uh, times that the, the dads love them because they're like, okay, what do I do? What do I do with my child? And it provides activity ideas that can be done in, in, in everyday life. Those are all available on my website, which is brain insights online. I'm going to make it easier to find all of this. So if you go to the fatherhoodchallenge.com, that's the fatherhoodchallenge.com, go to this episode and look right below the episode description. All the links will be posted there to make it easy. So Deborah, as we close, what is your challenge to dads listening now? What we so easily do to ourselves is we, you know, at the end of the day, we'll say, oh, I didn't get that done. I should have handled that differently. I should have, should have, should have, should have, right? Um, But what I advocate for is that we instead pay attention to what did we do well? What did we feel good about that we did today? So that's my challenge to the dads. Think about and notice, purposely focus attention on, wow, I really had that great interaction with, with my baby today. I really you know, felt that that connection or I feel good about how I provided X experience for them. So 
give yourself a break and and focus on the positives. Deborah, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. So I'm very grateful that you came on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm grateful for you inviting me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.